Hey, man, why don't you have a seat for a second while I tell you a secret? You guys like secrets? So you know what that last song was? That is the first song. I'm oh, sorry, I'm getting emotional about it. Whew, that our worship team has written together. <laughs> I did. I don't know why I got all emotional about it. There is something about and it. We, they did it Friday night during a night of worship and watching people connect with it right away because, I mean, honestly, in the grand scheme of things, the best thing about a song for congregations is this. First of all, it's singable. And, and Friday night to see people connect with it so quick and then the truth that is packed into it and to watch God use it to, to impact our hearts. Man, I am thankful for the leadership of Jeremy Sorensen and the team as they... They worked over the last few weeks trying to put it all together. So, that, yeah, that round of applause is more than appropriate. So, uh, y- you'll hear that one soon again, like 25 minutes from now, maybe. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know why you're laughing, too, because you're like 25 minutes, whatever. Take your Bibles. <laughs> Second Chronicles chapter 16 is where we're going to be this morning. Second Chronicles chapter 16, we're continuing uh, in a series about kings. Uh, this is a great setup. It's, it's fun. To, uh, fun's probably not the, the greatest um, objective truth to use, but, but it's fun to be able to be in a room with other brothers and sisters in Christ and not just hear them singing, but being able to watch them worship. First Corinthians 14 tells us that there's three audiences of worship. The first audience, obviously, is God himself. The second audience is other believers. And I think this morning, by, by engaging in worship almost in a round, being able to see that we are worshiping God and, and, and the people around us are able to see it and be encouraged by it. The third audience, in case you're wondering, are unbelievers. And let me tell you, if you're here this morning and you don't know what in the world we're singing about, that would be you. And, and what we want you to do is not see how awesome we are. We want, to see, uh, we want you to see how sold out we are to who God is and then ask us the questions, what in the world is wrong with you people? What is it? There is something obviously different because there is. And the thing that is different is that we don't worship at the altar of this world. We don't worship at the altar of acceptance or, or having people enjoy us or like us or make much of us. We worship the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And so that's what we want to be known for. And that's what we're going to continue to fight for. This morning in, in, in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, we, we get to hear about a king. Some would call a great king. Uh, some would call a good king. Um, let's just say this. He was a king who, who reigned for 41 years. That's not nothing. That's a, that's a significant period of time. And for about 35 of those 41 years, he reigned in, in relative peace. Um, God was with him, God blessed him, God protected him, God, God prospered him in many amazing ways. But, but at the end of this king's life, something happened. And he, and he became forgetful all of a sudden. And, and that's what we want to look at together this morning. The name of the king is Asa, and his story is in Second Chronicles chapter 16. And so we're going to walk through this story together. Starting in verse 1 of Second Chronicles chapter 16, it says this, In the 36th year of Asa, King, <laughs> I've said it four different ways, so I'm going to go with Baasha. How's that? King Baasha went to war against Judah. He built Ramah in order to keep anyone from leaving or coming to King Asa of Judah. Let me stop there. So just to, to help with some confusion, I know our series is called The Kings of Israel, and I explained it last week. Many of the kings we're looking at are actually ruling the, the other kingdom, the, the kingdom of Judah, and that's what Asa is. He's ruling Judah, and the bad guy in this story is actually a king from, from Israel named Baasha. Now, now Baasha is, is coming against 
King Asa. It says he goes to Ramah and he's building and fortifying that city. The idea is he's, he's making it big enough so that nobody can get in to see Asa and nobody can get out from Asa's kingdom. He's effectively trying to choke them out. And that's, that's, that's the, the enemy that Asa is seeing. It's this fellow named Baasha. And then if you look at verse 2, it continues. It says this, So, recognizing that he was being choked out by Baasha, Asa brought out the silver and the gold from the treasuries of the Lord's temple and the royal palace. And he sent it to Aram's king, Ben-Hadad, who lived in Damascus, saying, there's a treaty between me and you, between my father and your father. Look, I have sent you silver and gold. Go break your treaty with Israel's king Baasha so that he will withdraw from me. So just a word about what's happening. So now King Asa know that, knows that he's in trouble. He knows Baasha is coming against him. He has no idea what to do. So what he does, is he cashes out. He goes to the temple. He goes to his treasury. He goes to the palace. And he draws out all the silver and gold he can get. And he sends it to the king of modern-day Syria, uh, King Ben-Hadad. And he says, let me give you all my money. And what I want you to do is forget about the, the treaty that you have with my enemy. And what I want you to do is take my money and be, be my ally and go attack him. Which is crazy because actually Ben-Hadad was one of the greatest enemies of King Asa. But he was so desperate, he was willing to give his enemy all of his money so that he could be protected. Ben-Hadad receives all of the finances, verse 4. He listened to King Asa. He sent the commanders of his armies to the other cities, and they attacked Aijon, Dan, Abel-Maim, and all the storage cities of Naphtali. When Baasha heard about it, he quit building Ramah, and he stopped his work. Then King Asa brought all of Judah and they carried away the stones of Ramah and the timbers that Baasha had built with it. Then he built Geba and Mizpah with them. So, so it worked. It worked. Asa took all the money and he gave it to Ben-Hadad and he said, go, go attack Baasha. Go, go attack him so that way um, he'll relent and leave us alone. I mean, he's fortifying. He's, he's choking us out. We need some pressure. And so what Ben-Hadad does is he takes the money and he attacks some of Baasha's cities. And Baasha is building Ramah. He's like, wait, we're being attacked. And he leaves Ramah and he goes to protect the cities that are being attacked. And he leaves Ramah there. And King Asa, this is, this is actually kind of humorous to a degree, he goes to Ramah and he dismantles all the fortifications that Baasha was building. He takes all of the timber, all of the stones, he brings it home, and he builds his own cities with Baasha's material. It worked. It worked. The, the pressure is off. Uh, the nation is secure. Baasha, he's gone. Peace has come to the nation again. All is well, you would think. When we keep reading in verse 7. At that time, the seer Hanani came to King Asa of Judah and said to him, because you depended on the king of Aram and have not depended on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Aram has escaped you. Were not the Cushites and the Libyans a vast army with many chariots and horsemen? When you depended on the Lord, he handed them over to you. The eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth to show himself strong for those who are wholeheartedly devoted to him. You've been foolish in this matter. So therefore, you'll have wars from now on. 
And Asa was enraged with the seer, and he threw him into prison because of his anger over this, and he mistreated some of the other people at this time. So, so here comes this, this, this poor fellow. He is the messenger Hanani, and he's coming to bring a message from God to King Asa after this seeming victory. And when Hanani comes, he says, you have done foolish. You've depended on yourself. You didn't depend on God. And the, the lessons that, that, that Hanani tries to teach King Asa are these. The first one is, is, is found there in verse 7. He says, when you depend on yourself and not God, you miss out. So he says this to, 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 to Asa, the, the army of the king of Aram, that's Ben-Hadad's army, he has escaped you, which is, which is mind-blowing. You go back to that story. Asa cashes out all of his money. He pays his enemy to distract another enemy so that they can have relative peace. And, and, and what Hanani says is, I mean, you had the opportunity, if you would have depended on God, to eliminate Ben-Hadad as an enemy, and he would never bother you again. If you look at the history after this, Syria maintains its position as an enemy of God's people. If you depend on yourself, instead of depending on God, it may seem like you got the victory. God had way more in mind for you. You fool. You fool. But not only when you depend on yourself, you miss out, but when you depend on yourself and not God, you bring about consequences. Verse 9 says this, you have been foolish, therefore you will have wars from now on. That relative peace in the 35 years of Asa's reign, that last six years of his reign would be marked by repeated attack, treachery, and wars. See, when you depend on yourself and not on God, not only do you miss out on what God has for you, you end up um, bringing upon yourself the consequences of your own sin. Now, Now look how Asa responds to the prophet standing in front of him saying, you fool, God said you're supposed to depend on him, you depend on yourself. How dare you? I can't believe you did this. How does, how does Asa respond? He loses his mind. He takes the prophet and he throws him into jail because of his anger. How do you respond when somebody calls you out? How do you respond when you miss out? How do you respond when God brings consequences upon you? There's a verse in Galatians 4, Paul is confronting the Galatians about the false gospel that they continue to believe in, and Paul makes this comment, have I become your enemy because I'm telling you the truth? How do you respond? When somebody loves you, stands in front of you, and calls you out in your disobedience and your sin, how do you respond? Do you treat them like they're the enemy? How do you respond when the consequences of your sin get piled upon you and, and heap upon you? Do, you? do you do what Proverbs 19.3 says? You, you make a mess of your life and then you rage against God like it's his fault. That, that's what King Asa did. It's not God's fault. It's yours. Own it with humility. Fall on your face before God and own it with humility. Now, you would hope that King Asa would have learned that lesson, but it doesn't appear that he does. Look down to verse 12, and we get to kind of see the, 
the sad conclusion to King Asa's life. In verse 12, it says, In the 39th year of his reign, Asa developed a disease in his feet, and his disease became increasingly severe. We have no idea what this is. Some people think it's gangrene. Um, it could just be your foot's really, really asleep. I'm guessing it's a little worse than that. Okay, but this terrible disease comes into his feet, and yet even in this terrible disease, he didn't seek the Lord, but only the physicians. And Asa rested with his fathers. He died in the 41st year of his reign. Asa did not learn his lesson. When difficulty came, he still leaned on his intuition. He still leaned on his own personal wisdom. He still leaned on his strength and his ability to get an answer to his problems. Please understand this. When the writer of scripture says he didn't seek the Lord, but only the physicians, he is not saying going to the doctor is a bad thing. Do not hear that. He's just saying that the doctors are in fact a tool in God's hand. It wasn't a terrible thing that he went to Ben-Hadad and asked him to distract King Baasha. It wasn't a terrible thing. But the point was, Ben-Hadad is a tool in God's hand. See, it's, it's God that we rely on. It's God that we run to. It's God that we fall before. It's God that we depend upon. Not everything else. Listen, the physicians are going to come and they're going to make their diagnosis and their prescriptions and it's going to be very helpful and God uses them. But the process needs to be bathed in you running to the throne of God. I, just because just I, I want to make sure this is clear. I'm not saying it only needs to be prayer. Go to the doctor. You hear that, right? Because there's some freaky stuff out there. That is not what I'm saying. God has blessed us with medical professionals who have spent time that I can't even imagine and have smarts that I make fun of most of the time, to be honest with you. And we are served by them, but they are an instrument in the hands of the creator God. And so we need to thank God for him. The problem with Asa wasn't that he went to physicians. It wasn't that he found somebody to help protect him. The problem was his first thought was his own wisdom instead of crying out to God with confidence that God would hear him and God would help him, which is ridiculously sad when you consider two things. Verse 8. Weren't the Cushites and the Libyans a vast army with many chariots and horsemen? When you depended on the Lord, he handed them over to you. See, one of the reasons it's incredibly sad that it never even crossed Asa's mind to run into the presence of God to experience his, his help and his comfort is the fact that Asa had experienced it before. What makes this incredibly sad is that Asa failed to remember God's faithfulness. If you flip back, it's even it's just on the other page, chapter 14, you get the story of Asa, and he says this in, in um, oh, let's see, in verse 7, he's talking to his people, and he says, hey, people, understand this, the land is still ours because we sought the Lord our God. So as a king, in his experience, he knew the only reason they had a leg to stand on is because they continued to seek God, and God had provided them peace. So the only reason this land is still ours is because we sought the Lord. Fast forward just a, a few verses, and what ends up happening is the rulers of Cush come against him. And, and it's this huge army against this little tiny army. And King Asa needs to fight this battle, and as he looks out and he sees this vast army, that's certainly going to wipe him out. Verse 11 of chapter 14, it says this, Asa cried out to the Lord his God, 
Lord, there is none beside you to help the mighty and those without strength. Help us, Lord our God, for we depend on you. And in your name, we've come against this large army. Lord, you are our God. Do not let a mere mortal hinder you. So the Lord routed the Cushites. See, when you look at the end of Asa's life and his rebellion against God and his, his unwillingness to depend on God, but to depend on himself, it's so sad because God had demonstrated his faithfulness in Asa's life over and over again. God had shown up and conquered this, this army, this massive army, when Asa did exactly what he was supposed to do, which was in, in those moments he depended on God, not his own intuition, not his own logic, not his own armies. He failed to remember God's past faithfulness. How about you? How about you? I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what difficulties are mounting. I don't know what foes seem to be stacking up in front of you. You know God's been faithful to you, right? Have you forgotten? Have you forgotten just what it is that he's done for you? Have you forgotten that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father above? The very air that fills your lungs? The very nerve synapses that connect so that you can see and speak and smell and hear and touch? Do you forget that the food that's on your table, no matter, no matter if it's vegan or not, is a gift from God? Except for kale. That might have come from the devil. I'm not sure. But. <laughs> Do you forget that the relationships that God has placed in your life are simply that, a gift from God? Have you, have you forgotten that God looked at you on your worst day and still said, I want that one? And I know when, when the obstacles mount and difficulties come, it, it's hard to remember because we are a forgetful people. That's why scripture commands us to remember so many times. Have you forgotten that God's been faithful in your past? Maybe the way to remember for you is to keep a journal. Maybe the way to remember for you is, as I have a calendar, I, I am, I'm a technology geek when it comes to my calendar, but on my calendar in the notes, I will throw in different things that God has done throughout the day so that any moment where I'm just like, man, God, nobody likes me. Everything's going terrible. I just got to open my calendar and look at a couple of days and be reminded of God's faithfulness in my life. Maybe that's, maybe that's a tool you could use. Maybe you just need to sit down with someone who loves you and who you love and say, hey, man, I'm struggling. I can't remember God's faithfulness. Remind me. Maybe that's why you should be in church more often. I don't mean like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. We need to get work done. Stay away. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, mean, I mean that. I mean, why do we gather? To encourage each other to love and good works, to remind each other of the faithfulness of God in our lives. Maybe we need to be more consistent at that. Have you forgotten? See, Asa's dependence on himself was incredibly sad because he had experienced what it was like to depend on God and to see him come through. But he didn't just fail to remember God's faithfulness. 
he failed to understand God's basic desire for him. That this, I don't even, whatever, I'll just talk about the truth. I won't talk about what it's done to me. Verse 9, the eyes of the Lord, they roam throughout the earth to show himself strong for those who are wholeheartedly devoted to him. I, I think I used to read that verse and think of it like security footage. There's security cameras everywhere. And then every once in a while, God would be like, all right, so let's see. Who's a, oh, there's one. All right, good. Let's go ahead and throw him something. Oh, there's one. Let's, let's throw him something. But, but, but a pastor this week helped change my mind about that. This is actually a picture similar to a drug enforcement agent whose eyes run to and fro is the old King James of this verse. They roam all the time on the lookout looking for that one who they need to arrest to get behind bars to stop the the flow of these narcotics in our community. They're looking. Why are they looking? Because it's their job. Their passion. It's like a little kid waiting for daddy to come home from a business trip. Daddy's going to be home any minute. And the promise is there's going to be this amazing gift that's being brought from some fantasy land called St. Paul, Minnesota. And the kid cannot wait. And he can't be convinced to sit and just wait and be patient. No, this kid is on the couch. He's jumping, trying to look, look out the, the window, trying to see the headlights that are coming and on his tippy toes through the door glass because he wants to see daddy coming. He's waiting for daddy to come. There's a gift that he's going to be given. He's not going to stop looking. He's going to continue to look. And, and here comes some headlights. And he's like, yeah, no, no, it's not him. But as soon as that car pulls in the driveway and he's confident that it's daddy, he comes Booking out that door to find his daddy. Like, daddy, you're home. Where's my gift? That's the way God's eyes roam. Looking for someone who would be wholeheartedly devoted to him. Because he delights and desires to pour his strength out in the weak ones. He longs to display his power. It's not something he does on the weekends. It's not something he does because he's bored. God will not miss a single opportunity, anytime, place, to display his power in weak people who rely on him and not themselves because that's what God does. And that's why Asa's choices were so foolish and why ours are too. And again, I don't know what situation you're in, but what I do know is this. Far too many of us see God as, as, as this, this, this big man upstairs who begrudgingly listens when we pray. And then you twist his arm. <clears throat> Fine. Get away. You're driving me crazy. Let me answer your prayer. And far too many of us view God like that. But that is, that is not how our God behaves. That's not who our God is. That's not the character of our God. Our God is on his proverbial tiptoes looking for our car to pull into his driveway. And I promise you, you want to carry that analogy, it's going to break at some point. But, but, but I promise if you, if you pull your car into his driveway, you, he will be at your door before the ignition switch is off. God delights in showing himself strong. That's the whole reason it pleased him to send his son, Jesus Christ. Because he delights to show himself strong in our weakness. And in that moment, we were as weak as we could possibly be. 
He delights in delivering us. His Son proved it. I mean, Jesus came to seek and save not the pretty, not the put together, not, not, not the, the incredibly faithful and kind-hearted. Jesus Christ came to seek and to save the lost. And he did so by taking our place underneath that freight train of God's wrath that was poured out on him. So that if we would repent and believe that he is the son of God who, who came to die so that we could live, then we could have life, not death or judgment. God delights to show his power. God delights to show his strength. And he demonstrated it again three days after Jesus was laid in the tomb. Yeah. Yeah. This God is looking for people to show himself strong in. And he's the father of our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for us. This God is never going to run to a boundary of his strength because his strength has no boundaries. This God is the one who not only created the entire universe, but sustains it. This is the God who is calling you to trust him and to call upon him for every need that you have. Now, when you call on him, he doesn't magically make everything beautiful. Many times, God's answer of strength is that he will walk with us through the storm. But we praise God, we don't walk into the storm alone. This is our God. And he is faithful. And he does long to display his strength in you. To those who are wholeheartedly devoted to him. Is that you? Let's pray together. Oh God, I, I thank you that the mess that I am in, <laughs> the messes that I create, the awareness of my sinfulness, that God, even in those, you desire to come into my life and give me strength. And God, I thank you for your faithfulness to me. I thank you for your goodness to me. I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Now, God, I pray for each person sitting in this place. I know, I don't even have to look at them, God. I know that there are some sitting here who have mountains that they can't even begin to approach. God, I ask that you would help them to be wholeheartedly devoted to you, committed to you, knowing that you are faithful and you desire to pour your strength out in them. Would you encourage their hearts? Father, as we close our service, looking at who you are, remind us of the strength that is ours because of Jesus Christ. It's in his good name I pray. Amen.